please join with me in today's scripture reading from Ephesians 5, 7 to 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you are new here uh, online or in person, we are in an Ephesians study. And just a forewarning, it, it's just really meaty. And so if you're coming in right now in the middle of it, we've laid a lot of groundwork over the past uh, several months, actually, to get to where we are now. And so uh, if this comes across as shocking to you or something like that, give us a little bit of grace. And you can listen to the previous messages to kind of like catch up. So uh, just to give you a little forewarning. And so as we're looking through verses 7 through 14, there are these questions that just pop up in regards to how we're here right now and, and what we're reading and how that's going to impact us. And one of those questions is, who are we in Christ? And is our identity in Christ? The answer to these questions predetermines how we live our life for Christ. When we put away the old self and put on the new self. And Paul has been making a point in this letter since chapter 4, and this focal point is found in verse 1, where it reads, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Those who profess to believe in Christ, who are in Christ, the reality of their faith is to be evidenced in their walk. Those in Christ heard the gospel, the Spirit of God is at work in them, and it's evidenced by walking in obedience and submission to Jesus Christ, that our lives bear testimony to walking with Christ. And we'll speak more to this walking with Jesus when we get to verse 8, but let's first take a look at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Who are them? Now, you have to look up one verse to verse 6 to find that out. Them are the sons of disobedience. That is them, and this is writing of the unbeliever, the people we all were by nature. So we're not to become partners with those who are sexually immoral, impure, covetous, who talk filthy or foolishly, who crudely joke because that infects us. Right? You hang around someone who has the flu, and you're eventually going to catch that flu, right? You put a ripe, good, ready-to-eat piece of fruit next to a rotting piece of fruit, and that good fruit always goes bad. It never goes the other way around. The good fruit does not make that rotting fruit good. We're holy. We are uncommon. Therefore, don't be common. Be different. Now, the Bible is not saying not to become friends with those people, or 
anything like that. It does not stay, say to stop working with them, to stop going to school with them, with unbelievers. It says partners. And if you have family members who are not in Christ, it doesn't mean that you stop associating with them. We're around unbelievers all the time. So then how do we apply verse 7 without compromise? Now let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 for that. And, and like Ephesians, Paul was not writing Corinthians to condemn the world. He's writing it as an admonishment to the church in Corinth. So he wrote to those in Christ in Corinth, just like he wrote to those in Christ in Ephesus. And that's the context. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging others? Outsiders, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And this is one of the greatest challenges that the church today faces because we are dealing with so much compromise and worldliness and commonness inside the church that we're not holy, we're not different. And there's this great confusion to accept that which is accepted in the world inside the church. And now Paul is telling us not to judge those unbelievers, those outsiders, but we are to judge the inside. So we're not to create these Christian bubbles where, where everyone just around us is Christian. And I'm sure you know some people who are like this, that they insist on working with them or they insist on going to school with them or they insist on having friends who are or do whatever it may be. And for those who live like this, I need to ask you, how are you bringing light into dark places if all you're surrounding yourself is with the same thing? So you can't do this in isolation. It's not a Christ-like way to live. John chapter 17, starting in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We're not to isolate and just kind of be a Christian bubble. We're here to multiply, to send out the gospel. But in that multiplication, we are not to live lives of compromise. And of course, we can still be friends, but I'm going to wisely choose. I'm going to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, which we'll get to in verse 10 of chapter 5 on how to do that, right? I'll have dinner with you at a restaurant, but I'm not going to places of compromise with you. I'll do business with you, but I'm not going to lie or steal in conducting it. I'll go to school with you, but I'm not going to participate in that filthy, foolish talk or that crude joking. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? See, we can't partner, we can't be yoked up to someone else and accomplish the same purpose. And you think of just two animals who are yoked together, who are plowing a field. If they're not equal, that 
that's going to end up being a really messed up field, right? It's not going to look very good. You're just not going in the same direction, right? If you're just pulling all over the place, you're just not going the same direction. So be very careful who you're yoked up with because it, it, it's no yoke. Um, I'm, not, I'm not yoking you. Okay. Now, I know people use this as some sort of a marriage verse sometimes. Not sometimes, all the time. Christians use this all the time. But it isn't specifically a marriage verse. Even though it's very relevant to marriage, even though it should be applied to marriage, this is speaking of relationships which include marriage. There's a really big difference between marriage and other relationships, um, from other relationships, though, because there's this exclusive, lifelong covenant between a man and woman in Christ within a Christian marriage. So that anyone who is to ask if a man and a woman can marry someone outside of Christ, it seems to me that the biblical response is, no, you can't. Again, those outside of the church, your business. Your business. Do, do what you want. Your business. I'm not to judge outside. But inside, if you call yourself in Christ, then I can, because I can open up the Bible and say, here it is. But outside, not the church's business. Outsiders. But if you proclaim yourself to be in Christ, then both the man and the woman are to be in Christ to be married. If you have more questions, we can talk later. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now as we follow this verb, walk, it's very important in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We find it Back in verse 17 of verse 4 where it reads this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, no longer walk, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So we're given how we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, and then how we are no longer to walk as those outside of Christ do in the futility of their minds. And this walking may seem unusual for people outside of Christ, since we don't talk like they do or act like they do because we're holy, meaning we are not common. We are, we are uncommon. We are set apart, set aside for the purposes of God. Now let's continue following this verb walk in Ephesians. We find it in chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is speaking how sacrificial love is of Christ and he gave his life to atone us from sin. And this next walk verse is found in verse 8, which we will be looking at more closely today. So let's skip down to verse 15. We'll circle back around to verse 15, which we'll look at next week. But verse 15 reads this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Again, we'll look at that more closely next week. Let's go back to verse 8. Walk as children of light. So in chapter 5, we are told to walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. This morning we'll invest some time looking at walking in light. The Bible is not telling people to be people who they are not. Right? This is a directive telling 
those in Christ. It's not telling everyone to walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And this isn't about just putting on that facade of love or light or wisdom. It's not about being religious or just having some of these Christian values in your life. Paul is writing to people who have had the Spirit of God fill them with the reality of his power, where the fruit is produced in the life of those in Christ and are revealed in their walk with Christ. So Paul is not calling people to be who they aren't. So if you're not a beloved child of God, he's not telling you to do this. But if you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, then you are to do this. And so he's not telling people to change based off of their own efforts or off of their own works. He's simply telling children of God to be who they really are. You're a child of God. This is what we do. God's beloved children through the grace of God, not your own doing, Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Now you take a look at this transformation in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. And there's more. Skip down to verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins, but that doesn't mean that all are forgiven. Forgiveness is for those in Christ, and the phrase in Christ is found over a dozen times in this letter. Forgiveness of sins is only by the grace of God. It's not something you and I can earn. God's love is shown to us through Jesus Christ, who came down from his heavenly throne to redeem us to himself so that we heard the truth and that gospel of salvation we believed it we've been sealed by the holy spirit and we're no longer our old self but we are our new self we are no longer outside of christ we are in christ we were darkness but now we are light in the lord it's not about being religious it's not about being spiritual it's not about being moral. It's way deeper than that. You look at verse 8 again. It doesn't say you were in darkness and then you came into the light. It says you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So you yourself were darkness. It's not that you simply came from a dark place and then came into the place of light. You are darkness incarnate. You are darkness. And you would have stayed as darkness if not for the grace of God who made you light in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Darkness. That's who we were by our very nature but God, but God, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Light in the Lord is who we are now and there's nothing in between. You were darkness by nature 
You are light by God's grace. There's darkness and there's light. There's nothing here in between. It's just a transition that happens outside of Christ's darkness in Christ's light. And there's nothing in between. So we all start as darkness by nature and only by the grace of God can we be light. So you're either outside of Christ or you're in Christ. And this is according to the word of God. Spiritually dead or spiritually alive. And this is biblical truth. It is harsh, but it's truth. And that is what reality is and we can only deal in realities. Reality only exists in truth. Ephesians 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The Bible is not deceiving you. People with empty words are. And this is what the Bible says, and those telling you otherwise need to study Ephesians closely and reread chapter 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words words. I encourage you to invest a lot of time in studying your Bibles and no time listening to empty words. The Bible will speak love, light, wisdom, not deception, not emptiness. Now notice what Paul did and didn't do in Ephesus. Paul put his efforts in preaching the gospel. He didn't put his efforts in condemning the culture in Ephesus. He told people about Jesus Christ who who reconciled the world to himself and will make a new world that people who were enemies will now be brothers and sisters in Christ as testified by the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians who once hated each other with a passion but now they were fellowshipping together and by knowing who Christ is then those in Christ can then impact the culture by who they really are as God's beloved children and not just trying to be something that they're not. A reminder, this letter is written to the church, those in Christ. It is not written to unbelievers outside of Christ, and it's not to say that we, as those in Christ, are perfect, because we know that we are justified, though. We were in darkness, or we were darkness, we were justified, and we're in the light with the Lord. But there's this process called sanctification that we're working on. We're not perfect. We we fall. And we're being made more and more into the image of Christ. The answer to this spiritual darkness, this spiritual death, and to be justified in Christ is not education. It's not legislation. Those sorts of things can't even solve something like morality, let alone things of eternity. When you think about it, education and legislation can't change human nature because those are external solutions, and external solutions don't change internal darkness, and this is why people need the gospel. The Bible's focus is Jesus who who changes us from within. And some of you may be wondering, how can you say that education and legislation don't change human nature? Because it does. Why do people still smoke then? Plenty of education. All the statistics are there in terms of like cancer, right? It's all there. Everyone knows smoking will kill you. It will. 
In fact, it kills about half of those who use it. And there's plenty of legislation. There's things from the Surgeon General on there. Not everyone can buy it. There are age restrictions. You, you can't buy it with money from social services. There's all this legislation. But still, more than 8 million deaths a year worldwide. A year! Every year! How many people died from COVID? Four million in more than a year? And you look at something like smoking. One year, eight million. And you're going to tell me education and legislation work? You're kidding yourself. Human nature doesn't change because by human nature, we are darkness. The reason why people don't believe is not because of their intellect. There are very smart people out there. There are people in Christ with great intellect, some not so much. People don't believe in Christ because they're dark. They are spiritually blind, and they can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's the same gospel that is preached, but then some understand it and some don't. And it's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of light piercing darkness. And people are dark in that we want to go our way. We don't want to go God's way. We reject God's love, and that is what sin is, and that is the problem. So different from what the culture and the world believe. We have other problems, but it's not a sin problem. That's the culture. That's the world. It's something else. It's not sin. But the Bible tells us we are darkness, and the only way we're out of it is the Spirit of God makes us light in the Lord. Now, how do we know we are now light in the Lord? It's not because you've become more religious or that you've become more moral. You know when you start understanding the grace of God in your life. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you're amazed and you're transformed from who you once were, darkness, to whom you are now, light. And it's not just you that knows this. Those around you notice this about you. They notice this transformation that you've changed. You don't say the same things you used to say. You don't make the same jokes. You don't go to the same places that you used to go to or do any of those things. What happened? And it's not from your own choices. You've just become who you really are. That you are a prince. You are a princess of the righteous king, of the holy king. And you are just living into that. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. In order for there to be fruitfulness, you need light. Right? You can't have fruit without light. And that light is found in all that is good and right and true. Where is this goodness, righteousness, truth found? Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Walk as children of the light. So you'll notice verse 8, it goes, and then there's this parenthesis in verse 9, and then verse 10. 
So I'm going to combine those, take away verse 9. Walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walking as children of the light, this takes discernment. Discernment. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. And before we come to discernment, we need to peel that onion back a little bit and ask, what is required to do that? Well, you need to trust. You need to trust in the Lord because if you can't trust in the Lord, why would you want to please the Lord and why would you want to discern what pleases Him? So as His children, we are to continually invite the Lord into our decisions to seek what pleases Him and to try to discern that. We won't always clearly hear from God, but we do have His Word. And we do have our brothers and sisters to, to help counsel us and to help pray with us, to partner with us so that we can partner with God. And as we partner with those in Christ, we discern with each other what pleases the Lord. Romans 12, starting in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God is so important for being able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And we need to invest that time in studying our Bibles. It's one of the, if not, well, it's probably like the top two or three for me. But it's one of the most important spiritual disciplines to practice. It'll be impossible. It's impossible to discern what is pleasing to the Lord without knowing what the Lord's Word tells us. Not only will it tell you what pleases the Lord, it also tells you what displeases the Lord. Now verse 7 started with, don't become partners with sons of obedience. And then verses 8 and 10, do walk as children of light and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then we're back to another don't. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, Paul is not judging those outside of Christ. He's just stating how things are and the do's and the don'ts that are for those in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This is just how those outside of Christ are expected to be. They are living into who they are, just as those in Christ, we are just to live into who we are. And those in Christ are to live in a holy way. The works of darkness are like this. They're futile. And so we must ask ourselves, What am I doing? Why do I do what I do? Where am I ultimately going? How do I make sense of my existence? Who am I? And as the world questions these things or the culture questions these things, are the answers good enough for you? 
And for those in Christ, are those answers good enough for you? And for those unbelievers, for those outside of Christ, if you're honest with yourself in asking those things, are those answers good enough for you? And if you say they aren't, keep looking. And I would encourage you to, by saying they're found in Christ. And if you're outside of Christ and you're saying that the world's answers and the culture's answers are good enough for you, go with it. Those are your answers that you're pleased with. Those are your answers. But you will remain outside of Christ. But if you're seeking those answers, wanting understanding, you will find them in Christ. It won't be futile. Ultimately, at the end of your earthly life, the things of this world, the things of this culture, you need to ask yourselves, what does it bring you? What does it give you? And you really need to think about that. Truly, really, what will they bring you after you are physically gone? Romans chapter 6, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That's what you get. What else do you get after you're gone? If you follow that path. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. That's what you get in Christ. Back to Ephesians, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now what is them? It's not people. It's speaking of unfruitful works. It's the first part of verse 11. Right? It's not speaking of unfruitful workers. It's works. Because we continue to love people. We do not judge them. We do not condemn them. We are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. The workers are to be shown grace, love, mercy, kindness. And we're not to shame people. We're not to embarrass people. And sometimes Christians, they want to point out people they don't agree with and call them out on things. Now, if they are in Christ, fair game. Do it. You can talk to that worker because they're claiming to be part of the family. It's like brother and sister. You're not doing what mom and dad said. You can call them out on it. But those outside of Christ, like my daughter's friends, my dad said, no, 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 I'm not their dad. You don't have to tell them anything. Have them talk to their dad. Not my business. Those outside of Christ, immune. Just give them grace, mercy, love, kindness. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Now, there's an association, but there's also a line that we don't cross. Right? I'll go to a party with you, but when that line starts approaching within that party... I'm gone. I'm leaving. Now, some of them may be surprised, like, hey, come on, we're just getting started. They might malign you, 
But those in Christ, we discern what is pleasing to the Lord, bounce. Done. And you don't have to stand up in the middle of the party. You sinners! You shouldn't be doing these things. This is against the Lord. You don't have to speak against those people there. I can't believe you're dressed like that. I can't believe you're saying those things. But we can't protest the actions, the works, not the workers. We leave. We want them to come to know Christ. Right? You don't want to burn that bridge. But we can protest those unfruitful works of darkness, but not the workers. We are a new creation and living into who we really are. We're not leaving because we're trying to do something like against them or like judging them or condemning them. We're just being who we are. I can't be a part of that, so I leave. And we're leaving because we're living into who we really are, beloved children of God, walking as of children of the light. Verse 8, right? And so really important to expose the unfruitful works of darkness and not to expose the unfruitful workers of darkness, especially with people you love, right? Your spouse, your children, your friends. Don't do that. Because nothing breaks the trust of someone you love more than exposing them as a person, workers, when they're most vulnerable. Expose their works. Don't expose them. You don't want to devalue who they are as a person. Keep that up, and you need to address the works. Expose the works while loving the worker, right? When you're disciplining your kids or whatever, you, you're angry or whatever, you don't talk to your kid like, you dummy! You don't tell them those things. Like if they did bad on a test or something, you, you show like, oh, that test wasn't so great. How can I help you? You're not telling them like, I can't believe you're so stupid. You understand? It's the same thing with people. It's the same thing with your friends. It's the same thing with your spouse. If they're struggling, they're struggling with some work of darkness. They are not struggling in terms of who they are. The who they are is beautiful, valued, to be uplifted. And the thing is, is if you expose the work, that dark work will lose its grip when it's exposed to light. You shower it with love and you shower it with grace and mercy and you shower it with your presence because you are light, they come to light. You need to protect them. You need to preserve their trust while exposing the dark works. Expose the works, not the workers. Right? Expose the works, not the workers. Verse 12 and 13, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything exposed by light, it becomes visible. Things that used to be dark, unfruitful, shameful, but now we're in light through Jesus. John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's wrap up Ephesians, the last verse for this morning. 
Verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those outside of Christ are asleep, and they need to be awakened. Those unbelievers in Christ are dead, and they need to be risen. Those unbelievers are in darkness, and they need to be brought to the light. And if you don't associate with them, not in a compromising way, but in a holy way, how will they come to know the Savior that you know, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do ask for discernment in how we relate to people in all of our relationships. I ask, Lord, that you would fill us with grace, love, mercy, just as you are. We, as your children, desire to imitate you. We ask by your spirit that we are able to do those things which are so impossible for us to do. Lord, we are children light exposed in the light, become light in the Lord, and yet we still go through this sanctification process. We are justified in you, but we still make so many mistakes. And we ask God that we would be humble to change. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have communion elements, uh, we'll take communion together now. And if you don't, uh, we have them in the foyer there. And you can grab that. But um, let's first take out this wafer symbolizing the body of Christ. Bringing us to the light. So as you take an inventory of your relationship with God and your relationship with others, let's remember what Christ has done for us. Let's take this together. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us, spilled for us. A beautiful sacrament reminding us that he made a promise to come back. May we continue to live that sanctified life until he comes back. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this promise and this symbol reminding us of how costly it was for you to sacrificially love us. We pray for your empowerment as we continue living as who we are called into the light in Jesus' name. Amen.